Almighty God, you rose your son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. And that same spirit that raised him from the dead now lives and abides in us. We pray now that you would open our hearts and our ears to receive your holy gospel. Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us faith to believe that we might see Christ and live? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. How does it feel to know that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive and living in you? How does it feel to know that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies because that same spirit is alive in you? This is the good news of Easter. Our Easter story this morning begins in darkness. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when it is late at night or early in the morning and it's dark and I find myself driving or traveling, I kind of go on autopilot. Like I sometimes not even thinking about where I'm going, right? That happened to me actually this morning. I was on the way to church before the sun came up and I find myself, I was about to drive onto the 285. Turns out this time, this Easter last year, I had to take the 285 to get to church. We moved the church. And so my muscle memory is still just kind of going to the old place sometimes, right? Around the year 2006 or 2007, I can't remember exactly when it was, I was in my mid-20s, and I was working with a missionary team in Berlin, Germany. I was doing student ministry there, working with university students. And I would often babysit the kids of the missionary that I was there to serve. And one night, they had come home late, and I was probably already asleep on the couch when they got back. I got up and I put on all the necessary clothes you need to go out into the cold Berlin winter night. And I headed down the street to Breitenbach Platz, the nearest train station where I was going to catch the U-Dry, so the U-3 train, like their subway, like we have the metro here. And I was, as I was going down the stairs to get onto the platform, I noticed that the train was already there on the platform. And so I had to book it to the train. Now, if you don't know the U-Drive train, how this works is the cars are actually a little bit smaller on the U-3, and they don't have the little individual seats that face forward. There's just two benches that face each other. And so you're pretty close to anyone on that train when you're on that train, but it's like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. at night. I don't know. You might not expect to find anyone, and so I went from being kind of on autopilot, you know, I was just kind of tired, barely awake, walking to the train, to suddenly I find myself having to book it to get onto the train, and then I barely get into the last car just before the doors close. And as the doors close behind me, there is a scene in front of me that I do not want to see. And suddenly my heart is filled with fear. There are two men that are sitting on that bench, and one of them is laying over and holding his arm like this, and they look wild and out of their mind. I don't know if they're on drugs. And I can't exactly put it together what is happening, but all I know is that I don't want to be there (laughs) 
in this moment, and suddenly I find myself in a closed compartment with him, right? I can promise you, it felt like a very long time between that train stop and the next. And of course, as soon as the train stopped, I quickly got out and went into the next car. Have you ever gone from being half awake to suddenly your heart is racing and full of fear? Maybe you've had a moment like this. Our Easter story begins in the dark. The two Marys are probably half awake, and then suddenly something big happens, and they are full of fear and dread. Truth be told, these Marys had a lot of reasons to be afraid even before they got to the tomb and experienced an earthquake. But then it is there in this moment of fear that they receive a message. The terrifying person that they encountered ends up to be none other than an angel of the Lord. And after hearing the message of the angel, they leave the tomb completely changed. Matthew tells us this, they left the tomb quickly with fear and with great joy. See, now it is fear and great joy. And I don't know about you guys, but fear and joy aren't two emotions that I usually like mix in the same sentence, right? They're not things that we usually put together. But this kind of fear is different from the kind of fear that I experienced on the train that day. And it is very different from the kind of fear that the disciples had as they thought they might be arrested and crucified just like Jesus. The fear they leave with isn't the fear they came with. The fear they leave with is the kind of fear you have when you experience something so beautiful and so amazing that you are struck with awe. It's the realization that God is far more powerful than you ever imagined and that he is at work in the world creating possibilities for which we have no framework. They leave the tomb in awe, knowing that they are participants in the kingdom of God. This new fear and great joy will now possess their lives in a way that will free them from the fears that dominate our lives, the fears of insecurity and of death. What? kind of message was it that they received? What kind of message could change your life? What kind of message could cause you to go from great fear to the kind of awe-filled existence that actually frees you from anxiety? This morning, we're going to spend some time reflecting on the very first Easter sermon, which was a pretty good sermon. Turns out it was preached by an angel himself. And so we get to reflect on the story of these women, and we get to hear the good news of the resurrection. And as we go, I want to ask the question, what is the good news here for your life? And how might this story change where you're heading and how you're getting there. As we go, I want to point out a few reasons for believing in an actual resurrection. 
For those of us who are Christian, the resurrection is at the very center of our faith. In fact, when the church was first starting out, one of the very first churches was in a city called Corinth, and there were actually a group of people in this this church in Corinth that were having trouble believing in the resurrection. Like they were doubting it, thinking it didn't happen. And so the Apostle Paul has to write to them and say, hey, you know what? We of all people have to be pitied if the resurrection didn't really happen. Because like, we are really doing this in vain. Paul says, hey, we could all be at brunch on Sunday morning if the resurrection didn't happen. We don't have to be here. And I tell you what, friends, I agree with the Apostle Paul. If the resurrection didn't really happen, all this is for nothing. And so I want to, as we go, point out some reasons for believing that the resurrection actually did indeed happen. And while we're at it, let's begin with the first one. The first reason for believing that the resurrection happened is women. Women are a great reason for believing. Our gospel reading from Matthew 28 begins with two Marys. There's Mary Magdalene, and there is the other Mary. Even Matthew forgets people's last names sometimes, okay? And of course, they're at the tomb where Jesus was laid, and the sun is just starting to come up. Now, if you were here last Sunday on Palm Sunday, you might remember that we read the story of Christ's crucifixion, and we read because these two women that were faithful to Jesus were in that story. In fact, even as all of Jesus' disciples, with the exception of John, had abandoned him and ran away, these two Marys were at the foot of the cross And the story tells us that these women had followed Jesus to Jerusalem. They had been healed by him. The story tells us that Mary actually had demons cast out of her by Jesus. So Jesus has set her free. And then the story tells us that these women had bankrolled Jesus' ministry. Isn't that interesting? Even Jesus, who does all these miracles and hears all these people and feeds all these people, still needs someone to support his ministry to pay all the bills, right? The bill's got to get paid. And these women were the ones that were doing it. These were his most faithful disciples. There to the very end. And guess what? On Easter Sunday, they're the only ones that are showing up. So here we are. So why is it that these women are a reason for believing the resurrection story? Well, as you might guess, in the first century, in the Mediterranean world, the witness of women was not accepted in public courts It was not thought about very highly, okay, in the culture. And so the idea is that if anyone was going to make up a story that wasn't true to try to convince you that Jesus had, in fact, raised from the dead, it is very unlikely that they would say that Jesus appeared to women. And this is how we know because we received their testimony, right? But it turns out that all four of the Gospels say that they might, if you read those four Gospels, their resurrection account is pretty different. But the thing that they definitely have all in common is, one, Jesus rose from the dead, and two, it's the women to whom Jesus appeared to first. And so this is a first reason that we can know that actually these gospel uh, texts, uh, we should think of them as reliable, because who would make a story up like this if they're trying to convince someone in the first century? Whenever there's a word that gets repeated in a story, it's good to pay attention to it. And the word see is one of those words in the story. The text says that the Marys have come to see the tomb. 
And I find that fascinating. Some of the other gospels say that they have come to anoint his body with spices. But Matthew just says they have come to see. And I don't know about you, but that resonates with me. They just want to look at it. It's the most human thing, isn't it? Someone that you love has died, and now you just want to see where the grave is. You're still trying to wrap your mind around it. And so the Marys have come to see one thing, but they end up seeing something very different. Suddenly, as our translation puts it, or as the Greek reads, they went to see the tomb and look, behold, there was a big earthquake. And an angel drops down from heaven and he rolls back the stone and then he goes and sits on the stone like a boss. Growing up in New Orleans, we would have said, this angel is gangster. His appearance is like lightning and his clothes are white as snow and he's got these beautiful bright white Adidas that he's wearing. He's just sitting on top of that rock and everybody's afraid. They're like, what is going on here? The soldiers, they faint because they're just men who can't deal with it. But the women are still there and they can deal. And so the angel says to the women, do not be afraid. Well, why are they afraid? Just so you know, if you're not familiar with angel people dialogue, actually the dialogue always starts out this way, okay? Because angels, they freak people out. Whatever it is about their appearance is big and scary and bright, and folks are usually scared half to death when they see them. So almost every time an angel meets someone in scripture, they almost always begin the dialogue this way, like, don't be afraid, I'm an angel of the Lord. That's kind of how it always starts. But I would say if we are familiar with the story, we might also know that their fears are a lot bigger than just an earthquake that just happened or the angels. These women live in a dark and dangerous world. Like us, they have a lot to fear. The kind of senseless violence that we witness in the news or maybe you have witnessed firsthand, they have just witnessed it for sure in front of their very eyes. It is true, the world is a dark and dangerous place. But something has happened that has made it possible to live in the world without fear. And so the angel says, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, and he is not here, for he has been raised just as he said come and see the place where he lay. Friends, the resurrection has made it possible to live in the world without fear. The resurrection means that God can undo even the worst acts of evil. The resurrection means that evil and death won't have the last word. The resurrection means that misguided religious leaders like Caiaphas the high priest and self-interested politicians like Pilate will not have the last word. Some of us have witnessed senseless violence and heard the news of innocent people being murdered, and we are afraid that the same might happen to us or to our own children. 
And these women know this fear. Some of us have spent years investing in a relationship that has ended abruptly. Maybe we have worried that our lives were wasted and spent on something that no longer has any meaning. And these women know this fear. And it is precisely in the middle of these fears that the angel preaches his Easter Sunday sermon. And he says to us, do not be afraid. Now, like many of you, I have been waiting patiently every Wednesday for the next episode of Ted Lasso to drop. <laughs> and if you aren't keeping up, Ted Lasso is a show about a guy named Ted who's an American football coach who knows nothing about soccer, but he gets hired to coach uh, an English soccer team, Richmond, and he doesn't know a lot about soccer, but he's kind of a magical guy. He does really good. And we're in season three, and there is this moment where it looks like the season's going to go really bad. They have just graduated to the Premier League. I guess it's like the best league or something, you know, for you soccer people. We can talk about it after if you want at your tables. And so the team's kind of bummed. They're like, man, the reviews are bad. We're going to do really bad. And then there's this German soccer star that says, I want to move to London and play for a team in London. What's his name? Zava. His name is Zava. And so the team is going wild over the prospect of maybe we're going to get this guy Zava. And they're just like giddy boys and think, if we get Zava, everything is going to be over. Like, we're going to win this. We're going to be fine. And it's like, it doesn't look at all like they're going to get Zava. And then it turns out that Zava joins the team. And all the, the players are just like little teenage boys that are just like, he's really weird and, and does funny, uh, you know, stuff. And the teams are just, the boys are just eating out, out of his hand, okay? It's a really funny moment, but I think a lot of us can relate. Because whether you're on a sports team or a sales team or anything you might be involved in, imagine the excitement you might have if your hero was going to join your team. And that's what's so wild about the gospel, friends. At Christmas, in the incarnation, God decides to join our team. Team human. He decides to become one of us and to play for us. He's God on our side. It's the Zava effect. We're going to win. But unfortunately, we make some bad decisions, don't we? On Good Friday, we say no thank you to God, and we reject his plan for us. We decide to kill the very hero of the story, the only one that could save us. We're pretty good at messing things up sometimes, aren't we? But then Easter comes around, doesn't it? And God shows just how far he is willing to go. After we rejected Christ, God raised him from the dead in his human body to be united with our humanity forever. And so the resurrection is God's yes to your no. God is radically on our side. He won't give up on us. 
He's committed to this team. He's not going anywhere, and we're going to win the championship. Death and evil and violence and oppression and injustice stand no chance. God's love is going to win out, friends. We have Jesus on our team. Don't be afraid. The angel can preach this because God has made it possible to live in the world without fear because we have God on our side and Jesus cannot be stopped. Now, that doesn't mean that every play is going to look pretty, right? The enemy might score some goals. But friends, the championship is already secure. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. And those of us who have been baptized into Christ and raised to new life can be sure that he will raise us up on the last day and his fate will be our fate. While we're in England for the moment, I guess I can mention there was an English mystic that lived in the 1300s that we know as St. Julian of Norwich she was a very thoughtful, contemplative person, I think a very deep feeler. She actually lived in a, in a cell that was wild. She basically decided, I'm gonna live in a cell. They bricked her in around the cathedral and just had like a little hole where she just prayed all day and the people like me could go talk to her and ask her for spiritual advice. It's called an anchoress. You can go Google that after. It's pretty amazing. But she was wrestling with the problem of evil in a very strong way. She was basically wondering why did evil exist in the first place and why all of the sin and all of, all of the injustice that she witnessed. And she was wrestling to the point that she says she was mourning and feeling great sorrow without discretion. And it was in this great sorrow that Jesus appeared to her in a vision and reassured her. And this is what Jesus said. All shall be well. And all shall be well. And all manner of thing shall be well. And friends, this is essentially the message of the angel. Because essentially this is the message of Easter. Yes, evil is real. Yes, Jesus was crucified. But he was raised from the dead, just as he said. Friends, evil might happen to you as it did to Christ, as it did to all of his first followers. But I want you to know that in the end, all will be well and all manner of thing will be well. Because God is undoing all of the bad stuff that has ever and ever will happen to you. The author of The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, he created a word for this, and he called it the U-catastrophe. You're familiar with the word catastrophe. U is a prefix. He put on the end of it a Greek prefix that means good. So, of course, a catastrophe is what happens when suddenly everything gets bad and the whole thing gets ruined, right? A U-catastrophe is what happens when something goes catastrophically good and it's so big and it's so beautiful and so good that it absolutely ruins all of the bad stuff 
And this is why Easter produces in us daily hope. Friends, we aren't in denial about grief and loss. These things really hurt. But all the mourning of the Christian is tainted with the hope of the resurrection, the eucatastrophe. Yes, we mourn it and we grieve and we protest. But we also know that one day God is going to raise up our mortal bodies to immortality. One day, God, what God did to Jesus, he is going to do to all of creation. And he is going to reverse all the bad decisions. All will be well and all manner of thing will be well. Does it mean that bad things won't happen to good people? It just means that we can trust that God is going to win in the end. And this brings up what I want to give as a second reason to believe the resurrection. And that is that no one suffers and dies for a lie. We've already mentioned the testimony of the women. And here I want to think about the disciples and the way that they fearlessly went out into the world. Another reason to believe this account is that so many of Christ's followers went out into the world and in the face of persecution and death, they fearlessly proclaimed the good news of the resurrection. All but one of Jesus' apostles were martyred for their faith. And not only them, so many other disciples that went out along with them. And so I ask you, who would give up their lives for a lie? I don't know about you guys, but if I were following Jesus and I saw him suffer and die on the cross, there'd be no way that I'd go around trying to lie to people like, oh no, I saw him raised from the dead. Let's do this. It's a good thing. I'll die for that. No, I would not. Unless it's true. Unless I witness his resurrection. And so this morning, I just want to say if you're here and you're skeptical about the resurrection, I totally get it. I get why you are where you are. And I just want to ask you to consider who gives up their life and suffers for a lie. And okay, if you can imagine one person doing it, can you really imagine so many people going out and giving their lives for a lie? The second reason to believe is the fearlessness of the first disciples. They went out and they were willing to suffer and die. And I don't think they would have done it if they had just made it up, if they had not had an encounter with the risen Lord. And while we're at it, I want to give you a third and final reason on that. This is one that has been talked about by one of my favorite theologians, the Anglican Bishop, N.T. Wright. He's a professor at Oxford University right now, kind of a professor emeritus. And one thing that N.T. Wright points out is that there were a lot of Jewish people in the first century that believed in a resurrection. But this is the resurrection they believed in. A resurrection that happens at the very end of time, so at the end of human history, and it happens when everyone is resurrected at once. There was zero concept in the Jewish kind of framework of theology for someone that would be resurrected in the middle of time and just one person resurrected in the middle of time all by themselves. And so we could ask ourselves, how do we see in the historical record zero belief that one person in the middle of time would be resurrected 
And then suddenly, all of a sudden, we have hundreds of people and thousands of people began to believe in this idea that one person was resurrected in the middle of human history. And so what N.T. Wright shows is that, hey, this is itself a proof of the resurrection. The, the sudden emergence of this doctrine that this had happened is not something that anyone was anticipating. It wasn't a slowly developing thing. One conclusion is that it really happened, that these Jewish people actually did not believe that someone could rise in the middle of human history, but did, in fact, encounter Jesus on the third day. Not only that, so much did they believe in it, suddenly their whole lives are reorganized around this, right? Suddenly they start worshiping on Sunday. Suddenly they're going out and they're inviting people into this. Suddenly they're going out and dying for it. All right, let's get back to the words of the angel to the Marys. They say, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. You are looking for Jesus. I'm sure that there is someone here this morning that has come looking for Jesus. In fact, I believe we are all looking for Jesus. Jesus is who we are looking for, whether we know it or not. And there is a sense in which for the Marys, they are looking for Jesus in the wrong place, right? They've gone looking for him in the tomb. They've gone looking for him in the one place where he is not. And some of us, perhaps, too, have been looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. We have been looking for Jesus among the dead. And if you're here this morning, I just want to encourage you. If you're searching for something that's going to save you, if you're searching for something that's going to satisfy you, that's going to fill you, I want to encourage you to come here and look for Jesus, look for the risen Lord. I want to encourage you that this church, Church of the Resurrection, and these very people that you are sitting among is the kind of community that you might be able to find someone that can help you find the thing that you are looking for, this Jesus that we are all searching for. I love how after the Marys receive the good news, right away the angel sends them out to be messengers of the good news. So as soon as the angel finishes telling them, he's going to send them out, and then these Marys become the apostles to the apostles. They are sent to the apostles with the message of the resurrection. And as we begin to wrap it up, I just want to reflect for a moment on what they say. The angel says, okay, go quickly and tell the disciples. He has been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going on ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him. This is my message for you. Friends, this is the Easter message. He has been raised from the dead. Who is he? He is the son of the Virgin Mary. He is the one who ate with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors he is the one who taught people to love their enemies and to pray for those who persecute him. He is the one who healed and cast out demons. He is the one who healed the lepers, restoring them to their families and to the life of the worshiping community in the temple. 
He is the one who spent all night in prayer and called himself to himself the disciples and, ta and taught them even though they would deny him and even betray him. He is the one who promised to build his church. He is the one who blessed children and insisted that they be able to come to him. He is the one who revealed to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering and at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes to be killed and on the third day be raised. This is the he and the he was raised from the dead. He was rejected by the religious and political elites, but it is exactly this kind of person that God decided to raise from the dead. Friends, this is good news for you. He has been raised from the dead, and he is going on ahead of you to Galilee. Here's the message. Not only has he been raised from the dead, but he's going on ahead of you to all the places you will go. Friends, the risen Lord is going ahead of you, and he's going to meet you there. He's going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him. The good news, you don't have to be afraid, not of evil, not of pain or suffering or even death. Christ is risen. God has already begun the process of undoing death. Every bad thing that has ever happened will come undone. And Christ is going on ahead of you. He's going to meet you in every place you will go in the good, in the bad, and in the joy, and in the pain. And you can live with this promise. You will see him. God grant us grace to believe the testimony of these women that we might put our faith in the risen Lord and receive the promise. We will see Jesus. Amen.